any business reader, especially CEOs and CFOs, most have probably read and love the writing of Vern Harnish. If you like Vern Harnish, you're going to be in for a treat with today's guest. She's energetic. Her enthusiasm is infectious. She's a systems thinker who reads widely. And she's a great business coach who has written three books, including Three Hag Way, which is the main topic during this conversation. The author, coach, and entrepreneur is Shannon Susco, and I enjoyed this conversation, and you will too. I'm Mark Gandy, and this is CFO Bookshelf. Shannon Susco is more than a consultant who has written a few books on strategy and execution. You see, she's the founder of Paradata and Subservio, successful companies she started and sold. So Shannon understands the hardships and barriers to success in the workplace. One could also look at Shannon's lifelong achievements and nod in agreement with what her dad suggested in the Three Hag way. Shannon, stop and smell the roses. Thank goodness. And I am smelling. That's the one thing my father always told me. Make sure you stop and smell the roses. And so I stopped when I sold my second company. And you know what the roses are right now, which is so great, is I get every day to work with coaches from around the world who are certified in Three Hag Way. And I get to work with incredible companies from around the world. And I get to say yes to what I want to do. And I get to spend you know the time I want and need with my family, which is amazing. So when you're building companies, you sometimes forget about your family. I'm already pumped up. I have a feeling your clients just love being around you. Number two, and I'm going to get the name wrong, but I heard Vern Hardish say his name this way. But again, I know I'm going to get, get the first name wrong. Uh, Kahan Krippendorf, I, I love his writing. I first mm-hmm. heard about him through Vern Hardish, but he wrote the uh, foreword to the book. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan. I was uh, certified in his work early on as a coach. And one of his first coaches, there's a three of us. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in for that. I love strategy. And uh, just his approach, right? All the different, you know, thoughts of all the different stratagems, right? And they're so useful in business, of course, because you're trying to find What's that truly differentiated strategy that his team can execute? And his methodology is great to collaborate with a team. So I love working with him and I, and I've brought him into my clients and I've worked with him and actually with other coaches. So super fun. And then the last big observation right at the beginning of the book, it was so obvious you are influence you you've been influenced mm-hmm. by Vern Harnish and a lot yeah. of us who read a lot we love his work and how cool is that you've been yeah. coached by him right so in the early days he was too busy right and he didn't have the book Rockefeller Habits this is like late 90s early 2000 and so I heard him he moderated like a leadership conference I had attended and And he kept throwing things out from rock habits, like all the little funny little words and things he called things. And I'd go, what's at the break? I'd run up. I'm sure he's tired of me running up, but I'd run up and say, like, what's that? And he'd tell me and he'd tell me. And then after that three-day conference, I actually sent him an email and I said, so 
like, what's the first thing I should do? And he was nice. I mean, he's so good at responding to email. He sent me back and said, you know, uh, this is the first thing you should do. And so, uh, okay, went away for the month. Myself and the leadership team put it together, came back, said, okay, we did that. Now what? And so via email for 12 months, he just say next, next, next. And we just keep like layering it on, layering it on. And the execution system that we know is rock habits, you know, that's the strength of that. It just gives you so much time back to start working on strategy and all the people systems and everything else. And it's the foundation. It really gave me my life back, which I'm very thankful for. And speaking of life back, this is a good segue. Someone may say, why should I read another book on strategy mm. and execution? And one of the first things I would say is, well, Shannon used to work 100 hours per week. And so she <laughs> figured it out the hard way. Yeah. So this three hag way is not just some idea that just grew out of nowhere. It's mm. not something that's highly conceptual. I mean, this is very tangible. It goes all the way back to your first business. Yeah. Could you kind of pick it up from there? Yeah. So it's, it's now the three hag way is over 25 years old. Uh, that's like a long time and it's been used uh, hundreds, thousands of companies. We have over, we're coming up to 90 coaches worldwide that are certified in a lot of things, but they're certified in this system. And the reason everyone's attracted to it is because the one thing that people were not confident in, including myself and my team as a leadership team, is confidence in your strategy. And there's very few, including myself, that could stand up in a group of a thousand CEOs and say their strategy like that and see it, see it in their eyes, be passionate about it and be able to sell it. Because if only one person knows the strategy, only one person knows the strategy. No one can make decisions if only one person knows and sees the strategy. So the three-leg way is about getting the picture and the collaboration of the team, seeing the strategy together, making decisions together. And the three-leg way is strategy married with execution. And we've heard lots about strategic execution system and all these things, but it truly layers it in. Day over day, week over week, quarter over quarter, month over month, like all the way through. You're going to just live it. And so that's why experientially, it's been around for 25 years. And it took quite a bit actually to get it like out of my head, written down, and then train all these coaches. And we have, you know, a nice large organization that uses it and leverages it across the world. And probably like, it blows me away, actually. <laughs> before we, de I'm sorry, before we define three hag, I want to save that question for next. But this may seem like a, a funny, silly question, because people write you checks, they're predisposed, they've been pre-qualified to, hey, we want to work with you. But do you still find some chief executive officers, some general managers of their own businesses, that may be a little bit reluctant to just planning in general. It's like, okay, I know she's probably right, but oh, I got a plan. Do you still have to deal with that barrier? Well, the interesting thing is, is that most people who will come to uh, work with a coach, find a system, are normally stuck. They've had some experience that they aren't getting to where they want to get to in the time frame they want. They want to win their business Olympics and they're not winning their business Olympics and they want to find another way. Now, we know there isn't a team out there that goes to the actual Olympics without a coach, 
without a system, without the right players in the right spots, doing the right things, like all of that. It sounds so cliche, but it's really true. And the the leaders who are not there yet and they're thinking, things are usually going quite well, but they're not aware of, could it be easier? Could they go faster? Are they missing out on something? So, you know, you got to plan the plan and work the plan and like do all those things. You have to take the time. In business, we execute 99% of our time and we plan and practice 1%. In sport, we practice like 5% of our time. Actually, that's wrong. We play 5% of our time and we practice 95% of time. So think about that. And in business, we just don't, I don't know why we don't do that. I come from an athletic background. It just made a lot of sense to get with your team and make a plan and then go <laughs> like execute the plan. I want to play stop the expert. True or false? Three hag stands for, I'm trying, and by the way, we're, we're on video. So <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to wink so you can know that I'm faking you out, but so I kind of blew it, but I was going to say that three hag stands for in three years, a highly audacious goal, true or false. <laughs> And, and I know I said, I'm trying to be silly here. It's absolutely false. Exactly. And explain <laughs> why. What, what is it? Yeah. So I love uh, a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's the thing that, you know, drives any team to where they can see where they're going to get to. Right. And everyone buys into it and they can make decisions for today, for the future. A three-year highly achievable goal, highly achievable. Uh, the reason why we use that, you know, play is that in three years time, we should be able to predict where we're going to end up. We should be able to actually look, this is our stepping stone on the way to our hairy audacious goal. And as humans, a three-hag is very human. You want to be able to like chunk it into a, a time frame that you can actually see yourself getting it done quarter over quarter, step by step, and you can work it out with the team you're going to play with. And so the three hag is a stepping stone to get to your B hag. And the three hag is a thing that renews itself every year. There's always a new three hag every year. There's always three years away. And so it lays out that rolling ability for you and your team to actually continue to map out where you're going. A whole team doesn't get in a bus. And they get to a stop sign and they have no idea where they're going. They know where they're going to stop next. They know where they're going to stop that night. They know where they're going to be in a month, a quarter, a year. It's just like, it's very human. And so it gets people excited. And as soon as you write one down, the first thing you do is you gut one out and you write it down. Humanly, as soon as you write it down, the game's on. Right? The game's on because you don't want to be wrong. We're human. And just to clarify, you don't ignore the BHAG. It's no. still there. It's you just that it's just that the three hag is a subset. Yeah. And that's and that's why I was so one is audacious, but one is achievable. Yeah. And the audaciousness of, you know, a big hairy dish goal that Jim Gollins, Jim Collins put out there. And we were so happy for it, right? We had put that line in the sand. We had our one year plan. And then my board and my shareholders were like, okay, great. So you, you gave us a five year plan. And a five-year plan might as well be your 10-year plan. It's a super wild-ass guess. I call it the swag, super wild-ass guess. And, and it wasn't doing me as CEO any good, my leaders any good. It was actually driving everyone to lose confidence in us. 
because we weren't being able to show we were getting there. And it was a wild ass guess. So we just decided we're going to draw a line in the sand 12 quarters away and we're going to map it out and tell everyone how we're going to get there. It's not perfect, but I can tell you it'll align a team pretty fast to drive forward. Is your three hag number centric, non-number centric, or can it be a combination of both? It's combination. Where the big hairy audacious goal, and we can talk more about this, uh, no numbers, because you measure it through your economic engine, your profit per X, where the three hag is where strategy and execution meet. So we have at the very top of it, we're going to say exactly draw the line in the sand with fiscally. What do you want your gross revenue to be? How much cash do you want in the bank that drives people crazy? But we don't put profit in a wheelbarrow. We make that up. Cash is not made up. We put it in the wheelbarrow and we walk away with it in three years. So how much cash do we want to have in the bank? It's a very a specific question. And then how many of what do we need to do in order to put that gross revenue number up on the board? And we know there's a lot of things in between and then put the cash in the bank. And one of the things I learned very early on is if you forecast cash first, not profit, cash, and stick to it, you will actually make it to where you need to go. I mean, I don't have to tell too many people that in this podcast. Agree, absolutely. Right? Um, and then the the other piece to it, I say strategy and execution meet, the, the strategy piece is, then we want to describe if we make those numbers, what describe what we're going to look like, like the big hairy audacious goal, right? And then succinctly describe what what are those differentiators? What is the strategy that's going to get us there? And it's three years out. So it's it's pretty interesting view. And most, and it's funny, I don't know a company that's had an issue in writing that down and validating it and creating confidence. Another brass tax question. When I ask who, again, this may seem like a silly question, but who, is it just the CEO or is it the CEO and his or her leadership team? Or has it been a little bit of everybody? Probably when mm-hmm. you did your first one at Paradata, it was just you holed up in a closet somewhere. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I realized that's not a good idea. <laughs> I always say for the CEO, you know, you want to prep, right? You definitely want to prep, think about it. But I want all the leaders to think about the questions we're going to ask too, and we need to answer because it's that collaboration, that experience from all the different places our leaders come from that will actually create that first three hag. And then you know, by doing that and creating the pictures, strategic pictures as a thing, it's the easiest way to explain your strategy. And by doing that, then the rest of the team can see it too, weigh in on it, share their experiences and what they see. We know people furthest away from the leadership team usually have the best ideas through their experience of actually working with the core customer. And the strategy is founded on the core customer. And then where can should this be done off site should it be mm-hmm. uh at lunch it should it be where do you recommend this yeah, taking place so i love an off site a good off site get everyone out of the office you know heads down you're with one another creates a cohesiveness you need right in order to have that collaboration you need on strategy there are times where uh teams needed like need to pivot 
like something's happened in their marketplace. Pandemic is a great example. Uh, they need to pivot. So they would have what we call a three hag Friday every Friday for two hours, virtually in their office, whatever, you know, the situation is, they'll sit down and work through the steps, right? There are the, the 12 steps of the three hag way and they'll work through the steps and you never stop working the steps. But if you need to pivot quick, you can get it done. You can get it done very quickly. Or you can actually have the time to think about it. And a lot of people will lay it out over 13 weeks. We'll be right back. Money is all around us. And we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it? And what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. One of the things you talk about, obviously, the Thurag way, there's the process, and we won't get into that today. I, I just got to read the book, and, and it's not a huge yeah. time investment, but yeah. I, there are a couple of things I want to just put a pin in real quickly. The the process flow map, the one you did for Paradata, and does, is this ring a bell? Uh, I, because this is audio, it, there's no visual component. A lot of us that read have read uh, they probably read uh, the balance scorecard where Southwest Airlines, there's there's a strategy map and there's yeah. these bi- yeah. b- big bubbles and then the smaller bubbles off leading to the bigger bubbles. You did that with, with Paradata. And I just yeah. thought it was brilliant. As best yeah. as possible, as best as possible, again, since this is audio, can you kind of describe yeah. what I'm explaining? Because I thought you nailed it. I thought it was brilliant. So- so we called that the key process flow map at Paradata. There's no doubt. Um, even at, at my second company, Subservio, we leveraged it too. Because I've now trained 90 coaches around the world and we've done that, we actually renamed it to what it should have been called all along the way because people get lost with the word process. We actually call it the key function flow map, the KFFM. And it's the foundation of everything, everything. And uh, why we call it function, you know, we picked it up from Rock Habits back in the day. You know, it was really great. Vern had a more detailed uh, chart than what we ended up using because it just wasn't practical. But the key is, is that everyone needs to understand and name the key functions in their business. So marketing, sales, ops, finance, whatever it might be, could be manufacturing, could be development. And we must actually understand how they relate to one another. So we want to actually put it into a interdependent map. So, you know, I can easily explain one that most companies have. There's a marketing function that, you know, something flows to the sales function from the sales function, something flows either to manufacturing, or maybe they just go pick it off the shelf and they ship it out, or it goes to distributed to a store, someone picks it up, and then we process the payment. The key function flow map is how do you make money? 
Exactly. And we really, I mean, this people will be listening to this going, you know, we raised a lot of money in my first company and we weren't actually really good at making money yet. And so being the geeky, you know, software engineers we were at the time, you know, we would draw a process flow map to create software. So why wouldn't we do it for our company? And so we grabbed the functions that existed, like sales, marketing, ops, right? And then we like drew everything that flowed through, including the cash. And then of those functions, it's who owns. So who owns the marketing function? Who owns the sales function? No different than if we're playing on the field, who owns that position? Well, if I'm the goalie, I own that position, right? I got it. I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to need help, but I got it, right? So it's that clarity of expectations. And then the last piece to the key function flow map is why I say it's the foundation of everything. It's your scoreboard. Everybody has their individual scores of the functions, you know, that all inter, you know, act. But then there's an overall score for the business. And it's not dollars, actually. Those are lagging results. It's about the things that flow through the key function flow map. The things are what team members own, what they can control. And the more things that flow through and how we figure out how to do that efficiently and well, actually, the more money you make at the end of the day, if you do it well. And we know that it's really hard to keep that all green, meaning everything's working well in a high growth company, really any company. So it also gives us visibility of scorecard, scoreboard for the company, for individual functions, and then how well are they actually working? And those are all things we need right up front and center, and in front of us, front and center. And that leads to another amazing tool, the attribution framework. Mm. And in, in, before we started, I made a point. I'm not one to lavish praises to people, <laughs> but the attribution framework, I just thought was you knocked it out of the ballpark because a lot of these other authors we've talked about, I've not seen anything close to it. And I would say that Southwest Airlines canvas I was mm-hmm. mentioning, I should have said that was more, tw- that's the closest you're going to get to the attribution framework. The thing is with that Southwest Airlines canvas, no one shows you where to get started or how you did. Yeah. So yeah. do you get a lot of kudos with the attribution framework and feel free it, to it, define it first? <laughs> It's the, like, there's a few fun things in this process. The KFFM is one and you knock that out within the first hour, hour and a half with any, with any team. They're, they're just eyes wide open. Like you've got their attention. When you get the attribution framework, because we're mapping out where your company fits in a marketplace, the company not a product, not this product, not that. It's where, how does the company strategically fit into our marketplace? And everybody can see it. And no one's ever had the ability to have that picture and that discussion relative to others playing in the arena. It just opens up a whole new area of discussion and feedback. And so you can share that's a strategic picture that you can share with the whole company. And as we're mapping out our three-year highly achievable goal, we're mapping it out as where we are right now, right? So this is what we look like right now. And we know a strategy isn't truly differentiated if we're on the same dimension as everyone else. And so it gives us an opportunity to see if we're on our own dimension and how strong our strategy is and what do we need to do to protect it, or we're not. 
And what do we need to do to move to our own dimension? What are the levers we need to pull and what decisions, strategies about making decisions do we need to make in order to move the company, the company there, leveraging our products, leveraging our services, leveraging, you know, our core customer, because that's what, you know, that's what matters is serving their needs, making sure those needs are where we're moving to with that core customer. Anybody that reads this book, they're going to understand now the, the, definition of positioning, because part of the attributions framework goes back to a positioning statement. I wrote down in our interview arc, your overall, you had several, but it all came back to make payments easy. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest ah ahas these clients of yours go through and readers go through is like, it's going to take them back to their positioning statement. Everything else is going to be subservient to that. Does it take... Some of the people who come across your work, your consulting practice, does it take them a while to get this part of the process nailed down? Well, interestingly, when you go through it the first time, a lot of, you know, like everybody's into it, right? And a lot of people don't want to do it wrong. But we always say whatever iterative, whatever iteration we come out with will be good enough for where we are. And so what happens is over time, no one just does this once, right? Because they do it once, they see it, they'll do it again and again. I have a client that's 10 years in, in doing this process. They're really good at the whole process. But what they're really good at now is thinking about the business within the process because they've forgotten the process. They've gotten that good at it. And in the beginning, you're worried about the process and thinking through it. And as you do it over and over, the process just becomes, this is just what we do. This is how we think. And the outcome gets better and better. And that's where the confidence comes from. Strategic confidence comes from actually working the process and everyone being able to see the same thing together in one view. Most of the time, strategy is written in words and nobody sees the same thing. As we continue our theater of the mind... You want to you want to take a gander at swim lanes? Yeah. So swim lanes are a great outcome because Michael Porter, right? So, you know, we use the attribution framework to give us an idea where we want to move to. We then need to we get to build strategy from the ground up. We build it, we build it up, and we get to our strategic differentiators that Michael Porter would put into a a tool that he would call the activity fit map, but no one really told you how to build that. Like, how do you build that? It's really in Southwest is a nice picture. Ikea, you can search all these. They're all out there. But from there, we had that. We had the, you know, the big circles, the little circles. It was like a spaghetti diagram of spaghetti diagrams. And we started going like, how are we doing towards our three-year goal? We started putting like timing on this bubble effect And then what we realized, you know, coming from project management 101 and all our geeky uh, backgrounds and building really big software platforms, I was like, why wouldn't we take each one of these big bubbles that are differentiators? Why wouldn't we lay out 12 quarters? So think of as swim lanes, one lane for every differentiator. And then let's write in the big milestones, the things we've got to get to you know, quarter over a quarter, you don't even have to fill in every quarter. We just want to get the big stuff in there. And as soon as you do that, I love doing that with the team. Everybody just takes a sigh of relief because now they can see how they're going to get there. And when they can that. Yes. 
And, and, and if you're sharing it with investors or your board of directors or the rest of your team, because you can go in a room with your leadership team, come up with a three hag, leave, go, hey, team, we're going to do this. And they all look at you like, what? Like, how are we going to do that? Like, we can't even find the door in our manufacturing plant. We're so busy because there's so many things, you know, it's just usually mayhem in a growth company of any sort. So laying this out and having it on the wall and you, you want less is more in the swim lanes because we know stuff happens, right? So if you think of 2019, all my clients had swim lanes, right? Going to 2020, uh, okay, we're, we're in a pandemic. Uh, we had to adjust some things in some swim lanes. Some things got faster for some companies, depending on the market they were in. And some things had to get stretched out. But it was so easy to do that quickly. We did that quickly. We took care of the business. We took care of our cash flow. We then went back to strategy and remapped it out so that everybody could see it across the company. So it brings that confidence back together and the visibility of, oh, right, those are those big things that we're planning for. Gives us a lot more discussion than, oh my gosh, I don't think anyone knows we need something as simple as a global phone system. And that's not that simple, but it's like a tactical thing that you need if you're growing a global business. Or you just need to have, you know, a new internet server. Well, let's throw, you know, let's throw that tactic down. Or we need to add 10 more resellers in the U.S. By when? And and we have to have the runway. But there's outcomes, big milestones that nobody talks about. They usually say this is where we need to be in one year and a Hail Mary to five years out. And then and then your BHAG becomes less relative. Because no, everyone goes, yeah, I can't even see that anymore. And then people throw it away. I know so many people have thrown it away. You have an interesting take on the 36-month rolling forecast. What makes this 36-month rolling forecast cool, unique, and special? Yeah, no, I love that question coming right after the swim lanes. Because if we're going to say, look, these are the big milestones we have to hit, strategically marrying up strategy and tactics, then we have to figure out what is our forecast? What are, what's our fiscal dollar forecast? People, things we need to invest in. And quite frankly, it gets back to forecasting cash first, right? It's the wholeheartedness of this. And if we can actually map out 36 months rolling, it takes a bit to get there. A lot of people go, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, write that down. CEO or CFO gets by themselves and they just extrapolate it out. That's definitely the first step. But if we can marry that up with the swim lanes and marry that up with what we call widgets, those things that flow through the key function flow map, we know how many things do we need to flow through month one all the way through to month 36 to reach the whatever we wrote down for our gross revenue and cash it makes it real. It makes it alive. And the ownership of that forecast is not CFO, not finance team, not CEO. The leadership team owns it and they own all the pieces that make up that rolling forecast. And I can tell you straight up, I mean, it definitely saved our team and our first company. That visibility through to our investors, our shareholders, our board, and our team. Our team was the one that owned it. And it saved like, you know, got all the monkeys off my back as a CEO and the CFO too. CFO only had like, how many CFOs have had to forecast the business and they're not even in the business? Right. 
right? Best guesses. I think it's amazing what CFOs have done. Great model. But let's let the people who own it in those functional roles forecast it and work together to come up with what we can and can't do. That's where highly achievable comes from because it will be highly achievable if everyone participates. Great point. Hey, last question on the, the this process. So you got your three hag, uh, you've gone through your key process flow map, you've done the attribution framework, the swim lanes, the 36 month rolling forecast. What does the cadence look like then going forward? Now, some of these tools we mentioned, we're going to go back, update, modify, yeah. clean up, that's ongoing. Yeah. But once you've got the heart of it done, are we meeting weekly, twice a week, every other week? What does that cadence look like when you're yeah. going through this three hag process? So the the strategy system, the three hag, is you know a hard edge system. Strategy system, hard edge system, what I call hard edge, executions hard edge. Cash is hard edge. Those are things we can feel, right. touch. Everyone, right. everyone loves to focus in on them, actually. And then there's the soft edge. There's our cultural system, our cohesive system, and our human system, which sounds terrible, but it's clarity of expectations. And the thing that pulls it together is the three-year highly achievable goal because it actually goes on both sides. It actually is only alive through the team members. And so the only way to keep it alive is through the rhythm in the business. And so Rock Habits, as you said earlier, was a huge influencer of cadence in our business. This is probably the, the most important thing we took away was uh, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual business, you know, meetings, leaders, teams, their teams, and so on, the cascade throughout the organization. And the key thing is, is that at every meeting, we must hit every one of those systems. It can't only be strategy and it can't only be execution and can't be only culture. Because if we do that, we're playing whack-a-mole. They're all connected and they're connected through the team members. So if we could go day, week, month, quarter and make sure that every agenda in every meeting is set up, that we're going to pull the lever that's most important at that time in that meeting. And it's funny because that's why I wrote a third book. The third book is Metronomics. And all the coaches around the world said, we love your strategy system. We leverage it with our clients and we're having huge success. But you're doing something more in with the you know, clients you coach. And I said, yeah, but you're doing it too. You know all those things. You know, Pat Lencioni, Jim Collins, like I know you're doing it. They're going, but you do it much more efficiently. And you do it in a particular order. And a timed order. And there's a path through this. And I said, yes, that is all correct. They're like, well, can you share it? And I was like, oh, I don't know how to write that down. Honestly, I, like it took me a lot to say yes to write this down. But we wrote it down in metronomics. So we wrote down 13 quarters that line up. Uh, funny, it's a three hag. Uh, but 13 quarters of exactly what to turn on when in every system. And the reason we did this is that there are there's phases that every company goes through. There's a foundation, right? That's execution. I say kick-ass execution and cash with a normalized cohesiveness. And if you can get to that level, right, then you can move to getting a truly differentiated strategy because your normalized cohesiveness will allow your team to collaborate at a level that is at a vulnerable level. 
that people know and they can say whatever crazy idea or whatever it is to get the strategy that's needed. And while we're doing this in the next year, we call that momentum. We now, that's a momentum phase. We actually really pick up speed because we're really good at execution. Our strategy is getting really confident and our cohesiveness, we're able you know, all the things that we know for Pat Lencioni and, you know, Covey and everyone else, right? That team trust. And then we need to take it to the next level, which I call compounding. Once we have balanced soft edge systems and hard edge systems, and those are the ones we've talked about with strategy and three hag gluing it together. Well, then it's a matter of as leaders, it, it's how, what, why it becomes so fun. It's why everyone gets their life back right? Because they have to get through these stages. You get your life back because you're able to go in every day and work on the things that, you know, you're in the position to play. And everybody has the clarity to know where you're going. A lot of people go, that's a fairy tale. That will never happen. And I go, well, I didn't like playing whack-a-mole. As a CEO, I didn't want to go in and like hit the cultural system and then hit this. And I thought that was crazy. It's why my team and I, my leadership team in Paradata, we said, we love the execution system from Rock Habits. Let's start layering in the others. And it wasn't as obvious until we got to our second company at how strong the system was that we were able in 12 quarters to go zero to sell the company in on our three hag with the system and be valued on the next three years. And so Metronomics is, it, it's a beefy book. I'm going to say it out loud. There's three strategies to read it. One is if you're if you liked what I said, you'll just read it. You'll go intro, chapter seven, done. I'm gonna go do that. If you're going, hmm, I want to learn more, you go to chapter six. It's called Trust the System. It'll explain exactly why you should do it. It's based on humans, team members, and why it actually works. And then they go back to chapter one and read through it. And then if you're, you're going, oh, I don't know about that. I, I like to restart the book at the beginning, but I don't want to go into all the details. You read the intro, you read chapter one, and then there's a fable that starts in chapter two, and it's the beginning of every chapter, two, three, four, five. Read the fable. You'll see your company in there somewhere. It's many of the companies I've uh, worked with, and many of my companies are in there in that fable. And then you'll read chapter six and seven, and you'll go, yeah, I want to do that. And you'll go back to chapter two and get going because it painfully, as Three Hag Way does, prescriptively, step by step by step, there's nothing missed. Prep, what you got to do in between meetings every 90 days. And I think the thing that people, and the reason why I wrote Metronomics after the coaches asked is everyone knew, and you know, Three Hag Way is very actionable, right? It's it's the how of strategy, right. right? You even said that earlier. This is the how of business. It's the one united system that takes every thought leader out there. It will continue to take every thought leader out there and, and plug it in to the systems. But as a leader and leaders, you have, oh, there's just one system. And I can plug in Pat Lencioni and I can plug in Jim Collins and I can plug in Kyan Krippendorf and I can plug in Rita McGrath. And it's just because they're all, they, they all have the what's, but they don't all fit together. And this is the way to fit it together. And so this is my give back. I, I will say out loud, though people laugh, it'll be the last book I probably will write. <laughs> well, it's, it's a playbook. It's a field guide. And, and it but it's it's brilliant. It's it's a lot of content. By the way, you mentioned a name that 
I, I'm really impressed. Rita, Rita McGrath. Is that mm-hmm. how you say her last name? I, I, I love her, her content and I have, yes. I think three of her books. And I think they're very underrated. Yeah. Uh, I love the, yeah. I love the reverse income statement. Uh, so yes, excellent. Yes. Excellent. And- and Rita's work, with all the strategy work that's out there, Michael Porter, Kyan Kribinoff, Rita, you can go on and on with all the great strategists. But they're always like, there's a piece and you almost like, you know, unplug, go do that piece. Exactly. But then how do you bring it back in? Right? So you don't have to do that with metronomics. You go do that work and we lay out, like we've hit pretty much every thought leader that we've actually run across in an order that lines up confidence in your strategy. So it takes it to the next level of the three Hagway. And we mapped out three years of three Hagway with all the other systems. I think I'm going to need an hour just to decompress. You are so infectious. I, I could listen <laughs> to you all day. You love, you, you love what you do. Yes. Speaking of which, wh- how can we learn more about you? Tell, tell us about the website, uh, hmm. Maybe tell yeah. us about people who either a want to learn this on their own for their own companies or find a coach. So take it away. Yeah. So metronomeunited.com, all one word, is where you'll find coaches from around the world. If you're interested in a coach, it'll help you uh, find the books. And there's three books there of different stages. Metronomics just released hardcover an audio yesterday, like September 7th, yesterday, like the, of uh, the soft and the ebook were out a few months ago. Uh, the books are all there. You can buy them in bulk. You can go to Amazon and get them. The other thing that's really important. That's part of my give back to leaders around the world. And my core purpose is I don't want anyone to be as desperate as I was to grow a company. And what we did is there's resource guides for every book and there it's at no cost. I just want to say, you just, click resource guide, log in, everything that we talk about and anything we talk about in the book is downloadable. And, you know, we give all the kudos back. It's just there. We want people to be successful. We want you to win your business Olympics. And please tell us if you win, tell us that you won and send us some feedback. We also run a boot camp every month, a boot camp. It's just to get it kicked off. We did it in a way that Everybody can come to boot camp. Bring the CEO and leadership team. That's the only way you come to boot camp. You bring your whole leadership team and you work with a coach one on one for eight hours Monday, four hours, Friday, four hours. So, true boot camp. And of course, there's coaches around the world. And I don't say get a coach because I'm a coach. I say get a coach because I was coached. And it saved me a third. I got there three times as fast right? Because they can see things you can't. And I can't thank my coaches enough for helping me and getting my teams to where we were able to win our own business Olympics. This has been great. I I cannot thank you enough. I hope we can twist your arm to come back again. You are an amazing uh, person. Yes, I'd love to. (laughs) Thank you. And thanks for doing your homework. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. Shannon Susco, thank you very much. Again, her books are Metronomics, One United System to Grow Up Your Team, Company, and Life. That's her newest book, the one we talked about, The Three Hag Way. 
and her first book, The Metronome Effect, The Journey to Predictable Profit. If I could paraphrase Shannon's message, excluding all the tools we talked about, here are the four vital inputs to the three hag way. Number one, start with an objective or clear vision. Number two, get the right players on board. Number three, create a system to achieve the objective. And number four, get a coach to keep you on track. And by the way, speaking of systems, when creating new habits, what's the most important step? Is it selecting the right goal or building the system to achieve the goal? Well, next week, my favorite CFO and I will be unpacking that question when we talk about one of the most popular nonfiction books in the past 20 years, Atomic Habits. And I believe as of this week, it's crossed the 3 million mark in total sales. Amazing. Thank you for listening. Please tell a friend about the show would mean a lot. I'm Mark Gandy, and this is the show for lifelong learning for financial leaders, CFO Bookshelf. Oh, 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 oh,